This is the Brian Dowd Music Lounge, all things Nashville. So for this episode, we're talking about the New York music scene with Brooklyn record store owner Jeff Ojiba. I was recently in New York for some shows with Laney Jones and the Spirits, and I had the chance to walk around Brooklyn for a bit. I figured, who better to talk to about the New York music scene than a local record store owner and musician? Please ignore the busy streets in the background, as this was a typical loud New York afternoon with lots of traffic. Let's go ahead and get it started here. Jeff talks about what draws certain bands to Brooklyn and also discusses the vast variety of music performed in New York. What are your thoughts on where the New York music scene currently stands as far as, do you think indie rock is huge or is just every genre just as big or what are you seeing the trend as nowadays? Well, indie rock has been big for as long as I've been here, which has only been about seven years and it was big before that. Um, but I see that it kind of took a dip in the last couple years. You know, we have a joke that uh, what's your favorite band that's going to break up by next summer because there's such a turnover for different bands and just like a revolving door of like artists and groups and this and that. So the indie rock thing is, is certainly something that's always been there. I think it's a little bit less than it's been in recent past. Um, the other sorts of music scenes that... I've noticed is there's a little bit of a punk rock scene. I wouldn't say it's super active, but there are definitely people in the culture that are still pretty active, and there are records coming out by bands that are attempting to try to not cross over with the indie scene, which is fun too. And other than that, I mean, I can delve into the whole. There's there's cool like beat digging music, producing hip hop mixtape crossover things as well so that's pretty much what my you know reception is of everything what are your thoughts one of my favorite bands that's been around for a while actually now is the national um and i know i was reading up on them earlier and it says they're kind of based in the brooklyn area you know whether it's the national or a band similar to that what do you think the draw is for bands in a similar vein as the national to to be in a town like brooklyn um, well, the National, those guys are always pretty cool. Um, they've been around, and they're definitely not shy about being regular people in a big city. Uh, maybe the draw of being in Brooklyn is just the availability of, of all the tools you need to be a band. Um, you have your practice spaces, your instruments and equipment are plenty in terms of, you know, acquiring them or repairing them. And, there's just lots of places to play, and it's a it's a nice hub. And New York is uh, New York either uh, chews you up and spits you out, or uh, welcomes you with open arms. So if you make it here, it's 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 not that tough to do it elsewhere. What would you say are the difficulties as far as moving here as a musician? What are some of the common stories you hear of maybe some struggles that a lot of musicians might have when they first come to town? Well, the struggles are definitely have to do with housing and the gentrification and every neighborhood that becomes hip and cool gets replicated by people with money and then the, the old building that was a historic hangout becomes a high rise and uh, everybody gets kicked out of the neighborhood when rents go up for that reason so it seems to be a, a, a cyclical um, issue that makes, a, makes it a little bit difficult to be an artist and to afford to be here. I know a lot of people pick up gigs, they do a lot of freelance work, they work bartending shifts, 
they do anything they can to, to make ends meet while trying to not really care so much about having a home base, but rather having a musical project that's able to be set free. I know in Nashville, where I'm living right now, for a lot of musicians that want to be side musicians for artists, there are certain places to go as far as, you know, to, to whether you're going to go sit in and play or just to go see other bands play to network. Are there certain venues here in Brooklyn where a lot of musicians like to go to try to commingle with other musicians? Yeah, there's a handful of, uh, of venues that are up in Williamsburg and uh, Bushwick does really well, especially over the last you know, few years. Bushwick has been on the ups. It's been a place that everybody from Williamsburg and Greenpoint got pushed east and north. And uh, there's just a lot of spots that open up there, and that scene is pretty healthy. And there's also, how's it going? There's also a um, a pretty good scene down here, believe it or not. We have the Bell House right around the corner. A couple little spots here and there, a little you know nooks and whatnot. Um, Can you tell me about the Bell House? Yeah, the Bell House is Bell House is over on Third um, and Seventh. Third Ave, Seventh Street, and it is a. See, it. it's a large venue that must have cost a zillion dollars to open. They have a small front area I've seen some shows in for the smaller draws, and then they have a very large back room with, open, you know, not an open bar, but a uh, a bar, an accessible bar while right. while the groups are playing. It's 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 great. It sounds great. It's walkable from here. I have friends that show up from out of town that are telling me they're going to go see a group and they're playing there. And how close is that to you? And I said, better stop by. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Besides the Bell House, if, if we're talking about other venues, you know, in the general area, what would you recommend for somebody coming, you know, into New York that's up from out of town wanting to check out some cool venues? Well, like I said, you got to head up to Bushwick for the most part. I think there's a, there's been a lot of great places there. A lot of the uh, the spots in Williamsburg and uh, mostly in Williamsburg have, have fallen victim to the uh, the whole gentrification thing that I spoke about earlier. Um, so there's the best places are, are honestly still in Manhattan. Right. They're few and far between. I don't really have a favorite place to see a show. So. What about in Bushwick? What are some venues that you might recommend? Um, well, there is, there are a few places. There used to be a place called Akron, which unfortunately shut down recently. That was the, the best place. That was really fun for me to see the shows there. There's a place called, uh, what is it, The Wick, where the Wick. people play. Which I guess is short for Bushwick. It's so creative. <laughs> I like it. But uh, that place had shows. There's um, what else is over there? Um, there's a few more that aren't coming to mind. But yeah, I'll have to check it out for sure. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started here with the Black Gold Record Shop and how this all got going? Yeah, a couple friends of mine um, and I were talking about doing a, a business out here and I had been working as a buy-in partner for a record store in New Jersey and my buddy's wife or to be at the time uh, was talking about starting some hospitality you know business uh, service industry business where she served coffee or did something I said well my shop's not gonna last forever in New Jersey I wasn't really getting along with my old partner there one of my old partners there so we brought it to New York 
combined our efforts, decided to take a uh, take a new approach with the, instead of the sterile walls with the you know the record label posters, we wanted to make it a weird, cozy kind of lodge feel, and uh, just have people make it like a destination. And I don't know, it worked. We, I think timing is everything. And, it really is, I think, too. Yeah, records were making a comeback, of, you know, seven years ago. Now it's like you can't turn the TV on without some popular product being sold because of a turntable or something. Yeah, what do you think was the whole change in the kind of records coming back in, into being a thing? Like, what happened? Well, I think people just got tired of everything else. I always blamed uh, the fall of CDs or compact discs, which are still popular for audiophiles and, like, jazz people and whatnot. Um, and classical people for sure um, is that you know I when for me I when I saw American America Online sending a free CD to everybody in the in the world, <laughs> getting them to sign up for free. Right. I said these things must not cost that much to make. So I kind of <laughs> dis, it was disenchanting, and it was dis, disappointing. And um, when that happened, people were just you know they started it started to be like. What is you know the cost of air and what is the cost of water and what are our rights? Why can't? Why do we? Why do we pay to hear something? Which is, it's strange. You know, it's it's like I don't know. You can pay for a fragrance. Do, do what do you have to do? You're not allowed to hear something. It's just a weird thing that we've just always accepted. And I think what happened was people started downloading everything for free. You had the Napster thing. You had people you know, boycotting online music, and all of a sudden, everybody's got these terabytes of sounds and songs and it became a thing I called the shuffle generation where it was just music was just hits all the time and it's just what everybody was catered to exactly what you wanted to hear and I think that in when that happened the mystery of and the, the excitement of the actual album where you're not sure what's going to happen next or the you know the, the tangible reality of holding a record album with uh, liner notes and large artwork was a, was a, an art form that, that became lost and I think that people just realized after a while that it was something that they had been missing and yeah. brought it back. Hey man, do you need a drummer for your next studio project? Maybe you need a last minute fill-in for a gig out in South Dakota at Rhonda's Barbecue. Or maybe your drummer stiffed you on Broadway because he had a family emergency? Well, hey, you're in business. Call Brian Dowd. I can play anything from country, rock, Brazilian, sambas, or even that new cool genre they call Americana. Don't forget, next time you're in a pinch, don't even hesitate. Call me, Brian Dowd, the Stimp Man, Rhythm Section 2000, the Drumming Leprechaun to bring the groove to you. The two and four right to your door, 407-221-2314. Again, that's 407-221-2314. Bringing the groove right to your door. When it comes to listening, and this is something I'm really curious to ask you, what would you say are the main differences to you when you listen to a record as compared to a CD sound quality wise? Well, it's a big debate. I mean, my cousin's an audiophile and he prefers digital, which is pretty funny because he works here sometimes too. <laughs> we don't sell CDs, but I get it. It's, you can have like a really defined 
sound that maybe maybe the human ear really can't hear the you know the the missing pieces between the dotted lines of the laser relaying the super fast information to the machine <laughs> right, right. versus the actual sound of you know physical noise that's hitting your eardrums without any interruption um, I always think of it as like a really fast strobe light of sound versus somebody skipping a rock on a lake when you see those ripples like that's basically what's really happening in your ears and in your head and in your mind versus a simulation of that but it's like anything it's like a moving pic like a motion picture where we only need to see like 41 frames a second to not notice that there's nothing in between them or that there's a change occurring that rapidly so it's debatable i don't know i mean i like the way records sound I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, I can't live without the cracks and pops and this and that. I think people who uh, like that need to either buy newer records or take better care of their records. <laughs> but uh, you know what that is? I, I, the difference, I don't know, the experience probably. Uh, you do get a little bit of a wave, like a different spectrum of sound, but I mean... Some people don't even believe it when you tell them that, so... <laughs> yeah, I know some people have told me in the past, like, I feel like when I listen to records, it feels like a warmer sound. Yeah, what, that's like a common... Isn't it a common thing? Yeah, and I don't know what that... I really never understood what that meant. I get it. I think maybe... I don't know. I could never really figure out what that really meant. I, I'm kind of confused on that, too. <laughs> I, I'm, I visually understand what it says, but sonically, you know, I don't really understand that comment. Yeah. What about when it comes to, I know earlier you were mentioning briefly about how Manhattan, you know, obviously uh, Manhattan's had a lot of music venues for a long time, but uh, with Manhattan compared to Brooklyn, do you think there's certain styles of music that are coming out of Manhattan that might be, you know, way different than Brooklyn, or do you think they're both coming out with similar styles and, you know, musicians live in Brooklyn and Manhattan, you know, just like randomly, it doesn't matter what genre it is. I think that it's been like a historical thing where um, the musicians in Manhattan take themselves a little more seriously, and that's probably just because it's people that have more money. At least nowadays, it's just, you know, it's the difference between a bunch of kids that have already gone to college or art school or whatever, and they're making bands out here, kind of going with the flow, and most of it's half-hearted and, you know, fun, uh, versus when you're in the city, like, you need to make a living for real. And you need to, not to say that all of New York, every borough of New York is a somewhat challenging to survive in, but I, I feel like when people in the city, New York City bands have always been super serious. There's been a little bit of, like, a, a snootiness to it at times, not always, but, um, and a little, you know, a little bit of a pretentiousness to that that I think doesn't exist as much in Brooklyn yeah in certain parts in Nashville it's kind of a, a thing like in East Nashville like there's a vibe and kind of a feeling of, of kind of a hipster kind of vibe going on which has like been a thing for the last few years in East Nashville uh-huh um is there is there a certain vibe in the music scene here in Brooklyn that is like you know has been a vibe for a while or is like catching up as a, as a new vibe uh, as, well, as far as that goes well just to touch on what you said about the vibe in Nashville a 
about five or six years ago, this whole place thought that they were all cowboys, and it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, it, it was, uh, you know, guys wearing uh, hats and going, braiding their braids down their backs, you know, wearing boots. The boots were very big. Uh, I think that has passed for the most part. There are bands that still do play around here, and that, that vibe and that scene do exist. Um, but again, I think there's there's a big indie rock scene still, and there always kind of will be out here, like an alternative kind of thing, for lack of a better, more modern term. Do you think more of the gigs as far as for musicians go, do you think Manhattan has, you know, just, I know it's probably a little bit more expensive there, has more paying gigs as far as for a professional musician? Absolutely. Just like a totally different vibe that way too, right? Yeah, totally, because he's, the people have... You know, there's a difference between a band that plays out here all the time and goes on tour and goes down and plays these like indie rock festivals and then bands that have like three page riders that require, you know, four gallons of room temperature, pollen spring water and a lock, well, lockable, well lit dressing room before even going on stage. And I'm, you know, I'm making a generalization here, so yeah. I apologize for that, but uh, it is true in some cases and it's kind of funny. And, it's just been that way since I was a kid from New Jersey, and I mean, you know, I, I was in bands when I was a kid, and like playing in New York wasn't easy, and playing in Manhattan was a little easier than it is now. But it was still like, you know, you, if you if you didn't you know, if you didn't make it, you didn't make it there. <laughs> that was it. Right. Do you think coming to a town like New York, which is when I think of New York, I think of definitely, if not the, it's got to be one of the hardest places to make it as a musician. Do you think? For most of the people moving here, what do you, what would you guess the success rate is like? You know, as far as musicians being able to make it professionally. Well, I think people that move here to do music, um, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of them come like to the to the boroughs of you know Brooklyn and, and Queens even, mm-hmm. and those guys have a better chance. It's usually like, I mean, historically a lot of these big bands, even like the rock bands and the groups like you know the final live thing they, they always say like 2003 and 4 were like the, that was the end of like live music and it was like bands like the strokes and like these like you know hot hot heat and all these bands that came out and kind of all did the freaking you know shaggy haired tight clothes fashion thing and and rocked popularly um they were like the last wave, that was it, that killed it. And a lot of those dudes all have some sort of money or have, you know, a, a fast fashionista uncle or father or, you know, have some old money. And right. I mean, that's great. I don't hate those bands. And it's just one way to make it out here. <laughs> yeah, it's one way already, to do it. Yeah, you already have like some sort of connection. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think. Lastly, what I'm kind of curious about too, is in Nashville, they have, every once in a while they have secret shows, and one time Metallica played at some small venue there right before they played Bonnaroo, just to, I guess to get warmed up for the show, you know? Yeah. And there's been some like crazy shows like that. Have there been any shows in your memory here in Brooklyn that have been kind of secret surprise shows that you've seen or heard about? Yeah, there's been a bunch of surprise shows at a place called St. Vitus that I believe is in Bushwick, so there you go. Um, <laughs> there we go. I'm jogging my memory here. Uh, but yeah, there was like, after like some music awards or something, there was uh, a Nirvana reunion, which was like Pat Smear and Dave Grohl and, and everybody, but then it was like Joan Jett and a couple like 
other um, guest singers jumped on and did the songs, and people like heard about it through the grapevine and went, and it was like insane. Wow. <laughs> so that was a big one, and that, th those guys, if you keep your ear to the ground um, about that place and what they're up to, and you start to pay attention to them, um, you could be, you could end up in a pretty cool situation. Thank you, Jeff Ojiba, for being on the Brian Down Music Lounge today. If you want to check out more information on Jeff, you can go to blackgoldbrooklyn.com. That will take you to the record store site. Thank you for listening to the show today. We'll be back next week with another very special guest. And please download and rate the show. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.